Good morning. Good morning. All right, so just one quick announcement before we um, open up in prayer and hop back in. There is a membership meeting today following service. Um, that's it. So, Mr. Tommy, will you open us up in prayer, please?
the story because I'm sure half of you didn't hear what she said because it's over this way. She said yesterday she was having a rough day, the first part of the day especially. She said she was having a hard time making it through and thinking of it as a good day. She went to her room and started praying. She asked God. She said, God, help me. Help me get through today. Help the rest of this day be a good day, a day that, that I can be happy with. She said not long after that, her cousin came over and she started playing together with her and the whole day just kind of got better and God took care of everything. And praise God. And he's a just-in-time deliverer, is he not? Just when you need him. He's got everything you need. Praise the Lord. Okay, how about somebody else? So Friday we had a really cool uh, event up here at the church and uh, gave away a bunch of free prizes and played some games and uh, fellowship with one another. Um, it's really cool. Had some people that have never stepped foot in this building step in the building and uh, sat down and listened to the origin story of, of New Heights. It was kind of cool, so don't know where it'll come from that, but I hope something does. And uh, Alicia was our tournament champion, so congratulations. <laughs> Other than that, it was a really good experience for uh, for uh, uh, worshiping, or not worshiping, fellowshipping together as Christians, and uh, I hope everybody had fun, and I look forward to doing it again sometime in the future. Yeah, cool. That was cool. <laughs> All right. Somebody else? Yeah. Brother Tim. I just want to remind people to thank Frank for the church as a whole. Because I mentioned before, a first union church in California, and we kind of battle with Governor Newsom and the state there, trying to continue worship and kind of like, um, But I've run across interesting stories, too, like the uh, Republic of Korea and South Korea, they shut down churches there. Place to worship in general because there are so many things going on. 
over for very long. So, and you know, I've been hearing about things in China and, and stuff, so the third is kind of going through a hard time too, trying to find their place and things and how to respond to the rest of the world. I'm not real familiar with them. I know Korea has freedom of religion. I'm not sure if it's like here in the US, but, um, but other countries don't even have that for me. So Oh, it occurred to me this week just how often there are people right around us who need fellowship, they need the relationships that, with the Lord that um, that we kind of almost, I don't want to say this, but take for granted in a way, you know, I know I'm saved, it's all good, you know, and, and there are people who need that. Yesterday I was working at the life station at my desk, I had some rare opportunity to do that, and I went back through our registration sheets and I found um, on the willing to be text list, the people who are saying, go ahead and text me, 154 households that are saying that they're looking for a new church home. And so that's a pretty big number. That's a lot of folks. And they're scattered all throughout the city, but guess what? Two thirds of them are in East Toledo. East Toledo, Northwood, or Oregon. There's just a few in Northwood and Oregon, but basically it's East Toledo. And so, it is happening. There is a, uh, the possibility of an awakening, possibly realizing, hey, God is doing something, even in what, what really looks like a very dark hour. Um, the church really needs to be the church during this time. You really need to love your neighbors. You really need to pray. I mean, we talk about, we're talking about service. Ironically, we're talking about service this six months. We're a couple months into that. We, serving people ought to definitely include praying for them. You know, right. we, we're probably not going to be able to physically help uh, those pastors in California that are fighting for the right to worship or those pastors in Korea that are just trying to serve God, um, well, we sure can pray for them. And what is it, how much effort does it really take uh, to trust the Lord enough to say, God, your will be done? And if, ironically, uh, I went to a conference some years some years back, uh, Send Conference down in Florida, and uh, there's a church in China that has, has been off and on under persecution. They have more dead members of their church than they have alive, and it's a big church. So like they have hundreds or maybe a thousand members, and they have more dead members that they kind of keep track of who died for their faith than they have alive, and that's pretty insane. We're at this conference learning how to plant churches and how to evangelize the United States of America, and um, they, brought, they had this guy teleconference in, and he got up on the screen, this Chinese guy, I can't remember his name right now, but anyway, he got on the screen, and I, everybody in the room, there was, there was easily 500 of us, and everybody in the room thought he was going to talk about how, uh, you know, could we pray for them because they're always under persecution. And they actually, right before he got on the screen, they told a story of a very recent, like within days, persecution where somebody in their church had been persecuted very heavily, and um, their life had basically been destroyed, and they wouldn't back down, and they were living for Christ. And we thought he was going to get on the screen and, and ask us to pray for him, maybe ask us to send money, you know, because they're a difficult situation, and so on. And instead, he got on the screen and he said, let me pray for you. Teleconferencing from China, three days after a family very near and dear to his heart was persecuted to the point that their life was basically destroyed. And he got on the screen and said, let me pray for you. And um, while we ought to pray for our brothers in persecution, we all need, also need to realize that they would probably pray for us because we really should step up our game. We really should live for the Lord the way we say we're going to. And uh, it might take persecution. I say we got maybe we got a few too many houses and cars and good jobs and all that amongst us to really get out and do what we're supposed to do. But if God took all that away, what would you have left? Your family and hopefully living for the Lord. That's what you have left. And and so we don't want that. That's not where we want to go. But they would pray for us that we truly live out what what we believe. And uh, 
but we need to be faithful and pray for them as well. So that's a very good word. Also, I'd like to just mention before we do pray, as I was coming here today, Hefner was blocked in the ambulance a few houses down. I don't know if, if uh, you might have seen that, but or, um, we pray for that family. And I always pray this. When I was a young Christian, I was driving down the expressway, and I was listening to SFM, and the, the radio announcer announced an accident that I happened to be passing right then. And he said, I always pray this, that through this horrible circumstance, somebody draws closer to God. And I would say through this, through the pandemic, through the persecution of the church, through the ambulances in our neighborhoods, through the shootings that are happening all over our city. Um, that's what we need to pray for, that some of us closer to God. Because whatever happens here, it's temporal. But whatever happens there is eternal. And so we're going to pray together at this time, and then we'll uh, go to tithes and offerings and a little more worship and minister uh, Father God, you have given us a great gift. Uh, we realize that even though uh, much blood has been spent, many resources spent, much effort over the years to preserve our freedoms and to allow us to do what we do, um, Lord, that nonetheless it's all a gift from you. It is inalienable human rights. It's what you made humans allowed to do. We're also allowed to suffer for it, allowed to pay for it um, in many ways. And um, Father, as we think of those who are paying for it in ways that we wouldn't want to, right now. Uh, we pray for them, Lord. We pray for them for perseverance, for endurance, for strength, for wisdom, uh, that they would walk the way you have them to walk. Clearly, um, you are the one that allows things like that to happen. You are the one that ordained this time. I don't, I don't believe that uh, you sent this pandemic. I just believe it's the groanings of creation. It's the the stalling of what is good because really creation is waiting for you. It's only going to go on for so long. We know that according to your word. And then things are going to change radically. It's going to be a great shaking. And the one thing that will not be shaken is the kingdom of God. Our God will not be shaken. And so we look to you for help for those who are in, the, in times of trouble that we have not known. We look to you, you for help for us because in some ways we are in times of trouble that we have not known. And, um, Lord, we ask your blessings upon the tithes and offerings, that you would take each penny, each dime, each dollar, uh, everything that's sacrificially given, everything that's given out of duty and obedience, everything that's given out of faith, and a heart that believes in you, every penny, Lord, that you would take it and multiply it and make it work for your glory, that there would always be enough resources to carry forward the truth about Jesus. We know that the greatest resources of all are your people. And so we pray for your people today. We know that there are resources to harvest. There are more people coming. There will be more who accept Jesus and truly begin to live for him the way they should. And um, we pray that we are amongst them and that we unified as the church world over can be a good witness for our God and for the Messiah, Jesus Christ, during this day. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
was a time. It's the time.
Just out of curiosity, I want to test your memory. I think it occurs twice in that song. What phrase in the song that we just sang, meditated on, if you didn't sing, I hope you're thinking about the song, what phrase follows the words, Jesus, Messiah? Name of all. Name of all names, Lord of all. It's twice, right? So who knows the words? You know the words? Is it just... Jesus Messiah, name of all above all names, Lord of all. Okay. If you can't remember, I'm not. I'm not picking on anybody. If you're like me, okay, because this is I'm being just transparent here, and you have a hard time remembering lyrics, or maybe you have a hard time remembering remembering scripture. We're gonna have a problem. I have this problem, and I think you might have the same problem. And that is when you are given something that you need to remember, you have a hard time remembering it, right? So uh, I will, somebody gives me a phone number and I haven't put in my phone yet, I will repeat it to myself over and over and over again until I get to that point. And then once I start typing it in my phone, I can't repeat the last four anymore because that'll screw up the first three, so I have to stop. And then usually by the time I get to the last four, I remember them long enough to enter in the last four, okay? So is this a... Similar situations, some people experience that. Some people are good remembering lyrics, some people are not. We are in the midst of a sermon series talking about the transition. We started two weeks ago, and really the first sermon was about how the transition will not work, how it cannot happen, how you can't go from the foundational teachings about Christ, um, foundational teachings of Christianity, to deeper teachings of Christianity if one of two things are true. One of those things is that if you are dull of hearing, I submit to you that one way to be dull of hearing is having a hard time remembering what you just heard. And I think a lot of us have that. Now, that's a a practical way of being dull of hearing, right? So we don't intend to be. So the solution to that is when you hear something, you really have to remember that it's important, that it's applicable, meaning you need to apply it to what's now coming. You need to do a little bit of work. You need to repeat it over and over again to yourself. You need to think about it. You need to memorize it the best you can. And once you start applying something, you will remember it. Okay? Until you start applying it, it's just theoretical. It's just a list or numbers or something you're trying to remember, right? So the first thing was this transition, which we will make here shortly, not today, into next week. We've got one more on the foundation this week. But as we make this transition, you're going to need this stuff that we're talking about today. Okay? So don't be dull of hearing. When God 
pricks your heart, shows you something that you need to remember, remember it. Okay? The second part, uh, the second way it was not going to work is if you have gone astray. If you have left the pathway where God would have you to walk and you're not doing what it is that God would have you to do because we need God to bring this stuff home to us. We need God to make the foundation firm and to make the transition complete and to take us into the new teachings. And basically the writer of Hebrews said, it, it cannot happen without God's help. And so we're going to beg God that he'll, it'll happen. But realize that there are those who are, have gone astray. You've left the path. You're not doing what God would have you to do. And he, all, he went so far, I, I say he, but it might have been a she, but the writer of Hebrews even went so far as to say, we can't bring somebody back. If you left the road, Nobody can bring you back on the road. You can't even bring you back on the road. If you've ever been in a car that was out of control fishtailing, you realize that it's, it's going out of control one way and you kind of steer into the skid and it's going out of the other way and the other way and it'll stay out of control until you get enough traction, until you get enough grip and can get going straight again. Well, spiritual life, there's no traction. Once you're out of control, you're out of control. There's no traction to get back. You didn't have it. You don't have it. You won't have it. You're not going to get it. Not going to be a gift. Not going to come. The only way to get back where you need to be is to let God put you back where you need to be. And that's called repentance. To say, I repent, Lord, I turn back to you, and I'm going to trust you and let you. Psalm 127, those who build a house, unless the Lord builds a house, they build it in vain, right? So you can't work to get back on the narrow path. You just have to let God put you back on the path, which, praise God, according to the story of Jonah, he will certainly do, okay? And don't clutch on to anything else. We got that about a month ago, from this month and a half ago, from the story of Jonah. Because what people tend to do is they clutch onto something else at that time, and that becomes an idol to them. It's important, and then they never quite get back on the path, and that's not good, uh, as Jonah told us as he was praying inside the fish. All right. So that being said, don't be dull of hearing. Don't be off the path. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to repent today. Last week, then we talked about uh, what the foundation was. And if you notice, then, this is the sermon series. The whole thing, the title's basically laid out for you. A couple of them are a little poetic, so you might not know what they're going to be about. Um, but here we go. So the first one, transition. Two ways it won't work. Two ways the transition would not work. I just summarized that for you, in case you didn't remember it. The second one is a foundational framework. And last week, we went through the teachings that Hebrews 6, 1 says that we will not need to go back over and over again. Okay? And so today we're going to talk about how to leave those foundations in place. So if you're going to leave the foundations in place, I submit to you, if you're going to leave the foundation in place and know the difference between the foundation and deeper teachings, what about the foundation? What are some things about the foundation? One, you got to know it. You got to know what it is. If you're going to leave it in place, you got to know what it is, right? I know what I want in my bedroom, and I know what I don't want in my bedroom. When the dirty clothes are laying on the floor or on the bed or something, and it, I know that's not really where they belong, so I put them in the hamper. So my, my, my bedroom, if you walk in my bedroom, 99% of the time, it basically looks the same. Bed is made, the clothes are put away, everything's like that. Between Sherry and I, we know what we want it to look like, and we leave it the way it's supposed to be. When things get messed up, kids play in there, the, somebody didn't make the bed right away or something, we walk in and go, oh, that's not what we want it to be. We put it back the way it was. Okay, so you want the foundation, you got to know what the foundation was. So that last week, that's what we spent the time on. Is this the slide that has the next slide after this one? Okay, so we started with a hexagon representing the foundation with Jesus in the middle, and we're going to go very fast. Go. One slide. Repentance from dead works. You remember this one? We talked about it last week. It means you stop trying to do it yourself. And there is no way to do it yourself. And after you get saved, you don't start trying to do it yourself because you got saved, right? Rather, righteousness is from Jesus Christ. Next. Faith. 
Believing, trusting in God, right? So repentance from dead work, believing and trusting in God. Jesus said, this is the work of my Father, believe in the one whom he sent. Second piece. First piece was repentance from dead work. Stop doing it yourself. Second piece was believe and trust in God, right? Third piece. Washing or baptism. This one's a little trickier because the word that's used there is not the word for baptism. It's the word for external washing, okay? So they could be referring to baptism because people were getting baptized once they got saved. But they could be referring to washing, meaning the outside of you should be clean. You should look okay. You should be doing right things. Your mouth should be under control. You should be living accordingly and so on. Uh, it's not hand washing, ceremonial hand washing. That's not the word. It's not, that phrase is not there. Just washing or baptism. Next, laying on of hands. This is where somebody, literally a believer, puts their hand on another believer or on a lost person who's coming to Christ and they physically put their hands on them. So there's fellowship involved. There's touching one another involved. There's being in other people's lives. There is no solo Christianity. That's the principles of laying on of hands. Next, resurrection of the dead. There is life after death. Jesus proved it by coming back to life after he was in the tomb. There is life after death. Jesus told the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, right? Uh, rich man got his reward in this life, then wound up in hell for eternity. Lazarus had a horrible life. And then while he's in heaven, the rich man was begging that Lazarus just come and put his finger in his mouth and give him a little taste of water. Let him come from there and just give me a little taste of water. The rich man, who would literally would not have anything to do with Lazarus while he was alive. There is the resurrection of the dead. Jesus was telling us there is life after death. And the last one, eternal judgment. And that's that picture that I just gave you. There is a separation from God where there's a moment of time at which God will say, either you're with me or you're not. And I submit to you, that moment in time is already tethered to a time here on earth, right? A time at which you gave your life over to the Lord when you became born again. From that moment in time, you were with him. If you're not with him, when that time comes, you won't want to go to heaven. You're like, well, here's my options. I can spend eternity in God, eternity in heaven with God, with somebody I hate, somebody that I'm against, somebody that has opposed me for my whole life. I can spend my life with them for eternity, or I can go away from him. Not having firsthand experienced hell, I submit to you that somebody who does not want to spend their life with God for eternity will choose hell over God for eternity, and they'll go to hell. Now, when they get there, they'll regret it. Like the old saying, visiting might be okay. Being stuck there for an eternity will be horrible once they get there and see what it's like, and I, and I get it. I didn't create the system. The bottom line is, ultimately, there's going to be the new heaven and the new earth. God's going to be there. Either you're going to be there with God, or you're going to be apart from God. Okay? Eternal judgment. So that makes up the foundation. One more click. And then you notice that it's all part of, essentially, the doctrine of Christ. This is what Jesus taught. That word doctrine is important. Now, we're going to leave this sit on the screen, okay? And I'm not going to go back to those six points over and over again, uh, except one point we will use them as a reference. So now, what did I say? I said, sometimes you have a hard time remembering things that are really important, right? Okay. First one, and they're not in numerical order. First one was repentance from dead works. Remember? Think of the hexagon in your head. The right side, upper right side. Repentance from dead work. The next one down was faith. The next one down was laying on of hands. The next one, baptism or washing. The next one, we live after death. Resurrection of the dead. And the last one, Eternal judgment. You need this. Okay? If you're going to leave this as your foundation while you go on to teach bigger things, you need this. Really, you need Jesus because they're all wrapped up in Jesus. Okay? So some people might just say, well, I'm just going to get out of bed every day and I'm just going to do what I think Jesus wants me to do. 
And that's fine until you think Jesus wants you to do something that speaks against one of these foundational things that Jesus did not teach. And you're wrong. He's not asking you to do it. But you feel like he's asking you to do it. So then, if you don't know these foundational teachings of what Jesus taught, for example, then you're going to go ahead and do what you think Jesus wants you to do, and you're going to be wrong. You're going to do the wrong thing. And then what happens? Well, then you've gone astray. And once you've gone astray, the deeper teachings of Christ are not accessible to you. That makes sense? Okay. So this sermon we're going to talk about today is how to leave the foundation in place going forward. That's the sermon of today. All right. The foundation was, again... Repentance of dead works, faith, laying on of hands, baptism, or, or washing, baptism and eternal washing, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. You got it? Okay? And they all make up, they are the basic teachings of Jesus. Jesus taught a lot about hell. <laughs> I think it might have been more than he taught about love. Okay? But he taught a lot about hell. He taught a lot about both things. But he taught a lot about hell, so don't think he didn't. All right, so those are the six. They make up the, the foundational teachings about Jesus. Let me ask you a question. This is an object lesson. It is not rhetorical, okay? I'm going to name something, and I want you to tell me the device by which you would measure it in real life. The first one's easy, okay? So um, let's say you're going to measure a board to cut it. What would you use? Okay, Ron says tape measure could be some of some alternatives, but that's probably the most logical one. That wasn't a hard one, right? Okay, how about a cup of flour? Measuring cup. Okay, how about the width of a spark plug? Spark plug gapping tool, right? How about um, the diameter of a screw? Say it again. Micrometer, right? Uh, how about the voltage on a circuit board? On what setting? Probably. Probably DC volts, right? Most of the time. Sometimes they're AC, but yeah. Okay. So you get the basic idea that if you're going to measure something, there is a logical thing to measure it with. All right? And so we're going to talk about the foundation as a measuring tool. We're going to use, then, Philippians 3 to accomplish that task. Would you say Philippians 3? Say amen. Amen. Thank you. Perry, did you say Amen. Okay, I think he did. I'm not, I'm not there, but if he didn't, he probably did it when I said his name. Okay, I saw him online. I hope they're both together watching this sermon right now and God speaking to their hearts. Philippians 3. Okay? Now I'm going to begin reading, backing up a little bit from where we actually need to be, but I'm going to begin reading uh, back in verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So he's talking about under, living with Jesus, understanding the basic teachings of Jesus, and living them out, so that at some point in time after this life, he will go to be with God. Okay, he's talking about staying in the course. Verse 12, Not that I have already obtained all this, in other words, I haven't really done it yet, or have already been made perfect, I'm not complete yet, it's not done, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You got it? So if I could rephrase that in the context of what we're talking about, he's saying, I press on, I move forward from the foundation in order to take hold 
of the foundation that has been laid by Jesus for me. So now we have a new problem, don't we? The new problem is, if you don't make the transition, you never had the foundation. Did you hear it? He said, I press, so I press, I lost my spot. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Meaning, I go on to take hold of it in order that I might take hold of that which I already theoretically have. Right? So if, you got, if you're standing on a firm foundation, now we, uh, Ariana and I watched this show, I watched the like, 30s, I don't know how many other episodes there were on Netflix called uh, The Floor is Lava. That's a game we used to play when I was a kid. Uh, but we used to call it like the floor is poison or something like that. And you'd go from furniture to furniture or in the backyard. You'd have stuff and you'd have to climb from one to the other. And they made it into a game show. And they actually have the floor looks like lava. It's probably soapy water or something. But, and then when people go down, they go, oh, like they're being melted in the lava. You know, it's a pretty cool show. Anyway, I discovered on this, I could tell on this game show, the floor is lava, 99% of the time, whether or not the person that was about to leap from one item to the next was going to die, whether they were going to fall into lava and be gone. And it was based on just two factors. The two factors were whether the surface they were leaping onto was unstable or overly slippery, which made it unstable even though it might be stable, so they would slip off of it. It was either an unstable platform or very slippery, or whether the surface they were leaping from was an unstable platform or very slippery. You follow? So if I'm standing on a rock that is solid and not slippery, and I'm leaping to a rock that is solid and not slippery, even though the leap might be fairly large, it might be five feet or six feet, and you're going, I don't know, but when you span your legs, there's four and a half of it right there. If you get as wide as you can, you get a little spring in your back foot. If it's solid here and solid there, you've got a good push-off and a good landing spot, you're probably going to make it. That's what Paul is talking about. If you don't arrive, it'll be because you really never got the ticket in the first place. You got kicked off by the conductor along the way because you really not, never got the ticket, right? If you can't make the transition. And how, again, do we not be able to make the transition if we are dull appearing or if we are astray? So what he's saying is, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Now, there's a thing that he got a hold of me for, where I started at, the way it was supposed to be, that's where I'm trying to get to. We have a hard time wrapping our mind around this concept because we think of it as temporal. I got saved, and when I got saved, I guaranteed I'll be in heaven. Right? And you had an experience when you got saved. But I submit to you, there's a bunch of people who felt a lot of things the day they said they followed Jesus. They were sad, they cried, their heart welled up with, with fear or with joy or whatever, and they thought they had an experience. It was phenomenal. It was a great moment in my life. And so now I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that I will one day arrive in heaven. There's also uh, some people who had that the first time they ever had, uh, like on their wedding night, or the first time they ever uh, took crack cocaine or whatever. And, and that, neither one of those things are going to get you to heaven. An experience is not going to cut it. It's whether or not Jesus actually did something at that moment. And if you take hold of what's coming, then he clearly did something at that moment. But if you're leaving a shaky foundation, then when you make the leap, you aren't going to arrive where you think you want to arrive. That's what he's talking about. He says, not that I have already obtained this. In other words, he doesn't look... Listen, <laughs> if Paul 
the guy with God's Holy Spirit testifying in his heart, doing miracles, traveling around, seeing people get saved like that, if he would say, I look at the day of my salvation and I do not consider myself a complete perfect work. I've got ground to cover. I've got things to do. I'm not there. I need to build my foundation firm and stretch forward. If he would do that, should not we all the more? Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus, which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. In other words, I have not guaranteed the end outcome yet. I'm not perfect. I'm not done. But one thing I do, and this is our key verse for the day, forgetting what is behind, important, straining toward what is head, important, here are those two things, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The Bible says no man comes unto the Father except God call him. Unless he call, he'd be called. And so at the moment you got saved in your estimation, in the moment you had your experience, the moment you started thinking you were a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, you got born again and began to live for the Lord, in that moment, that's the moment you recognize God's call on you. You said, okay, something's happening here. right? And then he says from there, pressing forward for what he actually called me for. A lot of times I stand at the bottom of the stairs in my house and I'll call up to my boys and say, Aaron, Arden. And then they'll usually say, coming. And fairly quickly you hear bump, 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 bump along the stairs and here they come. Or in Arden's case, because he has an upper bunk, it's like five feet off the floor. You hear a big thunk and you know he's out of bed or got down or whatever. And then thunk, 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 down the stairs they come, right? Once in a while, Arden. No thunk. No thunk, thunk, thunk. Arden, I'm coming. No thunk, no thunk, thunk, thunk. Still nothing. Then about five minutes later, once in a while, it's very rare, but once in a while I'll come downstairs and I'll say, son, you got to come when I call you. When I call you, you come. And he says, I, I know, I, I, got, I forgot. <laughs> I, I got distracted or whatever. He became dull of hearing or astray from the call that I placed. You can't do that with God. If you do, you will not make the transition. And if you do not make the transition into the deeper things that where the Lord is trying to take you to, according to what we're learning, you didn't have a firm foundation to start with. And if you didn't have a firm foundation to start with, there's a possibility you weren't saved. And that's not a risk that we're willing to take. Collectively. Not that any one of us is not actually saved. We're not willing to take that risk. Notice and let's break down the verse first before we do the points and we're almost... Uh, halfway through already, so we're, we're flying. Forgetting what is behind. Wow. Hmm. Well, that sounds like we're leaving the foundation. And the transition is called for. But also I hear the, the thoughts of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right? Where Paul writes, all old things have passed away. So when he says forgetting what lies behind... He's talking about the old things of our life, the things that would stop us from living this new life, the ways we used to live, the things we used to do, the things we used to look at, the way people could affect us back then. Forgetting what lies behind. And I'll show you in a minute how I know that that's true, that that's what he's thinking of. Okay? So he says, forgetting what lies behind. And he says, and straining toward what is ahead. In other words, reaching out for it, working for it, progressing, being diligent, doing what I should be doing to move forward. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I move forward. Remember the foundation? 
Remember the six points of the foundation in Jesus? I submit to you that included in every one of those points and the total sum teaching of Jesus is a moving forward. You say, why do I say that? Well, I ask you, what did Jesus call? What did he ask people to do when he came? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Right? That was his early teaching. And then what? Come, follow me. What? Be my disciples. Is that what you said? That's where I was going next. So it's come, follow me. Come, be my disciples. What is a disciple? What's the definition of the word? It ought to be there somewhere. Yes. And? That's only half of it. Learns from someone else is half of it. What's the other half? What? And teaches what they learned. Okay? So, remember Hebrews 6 says, you should all be teachers by now. If you have the foundation and you know these six points and how they wrap into Jesus, you have something serious that you can share, right? And if you're a disciple, that's what Jesus called us to be and also said that we should go out and make disciples. Not disciples of us, right? But disciples of Jesus. And a disciple learns from the master and teaches what the master has taught them. You have to have some grasp or some knowledge of what you've learned in order to teach it, right? So you learn it. And then you teach it. These teachings imply a forward movement. There's Every part of Jesus was always about doing something. Jesus' public ministry was going to the cross, right? And then the story just ends. No. He goes to the cross and he dies. And they bury him. And then he comes back to life on the third day. Jesus' life wasn't about going to the cross. Jesus' death was about going to the cross. Jesus' life was about going to heaven, was about serving God's purposes, was about the kingdom advance, was about invading Satan's territory and taking back that what belongs to God. Right? It's always forward, always moving forward. The this, this disciples' teachings are about you learn it, you teach it. And then that person learns it and teaches it. And that's how it's done. These teachings include a forward moving. Go back to my... The floor is lava story. Okay? In order to land safely on the next platform, you must commit to quit the first platform. If it's five, six feet away and it's outside your reach, and you go, oh, and you put your feet out as far as you can, and the leg span is five feet, but it's six feet away, you can't reach. You cannot land safely on the next platform. Unless you'll extend yourself. I saw a young man on there who was in his 20s. He's about 6'5". He's at a leg span of about six and a half feet. And at one point he came to a jump that was almost eight feet. I'm like, you're nuts. That's crazy. He's a basketball player. He's like, I'm like, you, no one has, would, else would try that. The only reason you're even thinking about trying it is because you've got a six and a half foot leg span. You're thinking, you know, oh, it's only a foot and a half more than my leg span. So you're crazy. And you know what he did? He very confidently quit the platform that he was standing on, which was a solid surface, and landed on his chest, not on his feet, but on his chest, on the one that he was headed towards, and then pulled himself up on with his legs and his hands. You must firmly quit the foundation and jump to the next place, pressing forward to what God is calling you toward. The transition is necessary. Without the transition and being committed to the transition, you don't really have the foundation. But at the same time, you cannot lose the foundation or you can't make the transition to the next place. Because when you go to jump, it's unstable and it falls out from underneath to you. And to use that, act, that analogy, you're in the lava. You're stuck. You're dead. 
I'm going to go just a hair further on the text. This is what he says. Verse 15. All of us who are mature, and I submit to you, if you read that in the Greek, it could very easily say maturing, but I would read it this way, who have some maturity and want to continue maturing, if you want to say it that way, but all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. What was the view? That we're pressing forward, leaving behind the things, and I submit to you, they are the things before we became Christians that we're leaving behind. He's not saying leave behind the foundation. I'll show you that in a second. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, in other words, if you, if you got a, a different feeling about it, you don't quite agree with what Paul's saying here, uh, or even on the doctrine or on the teachings of Christ, if you feel a little different, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. So I submit to you then all of these points of the foundation not only point forward to teaching and moving forward, acting on them, leaping to making the transition to the deeper teaching, but on top of that also that we would continue to be redefined, to get a better understanding and grow, right? He says, that God will make clear to you. If you think it, you know, if you think laying on of hands is not that important, you think it's not that important to worship with believers, you think it's not that important to be together as part of the fellowship, not that important to invest in other people, not that important to serve, not that important to be God's representative. That's what laying on of hands is. It's like God's representative putting his hand on somebody. If you think that's not that important, God will show that to you. And I submit to you that God, if God doesn't show that to you, then you have a problem because you probably don't have the firm foundation in the first place and you'll have a hard time making the transition. You see how this all connects together? He says, and if on, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you, only let us live up to what we have already attained. There it is. You can't forget the foundation as you move forward, make the transition, go into the deeper teachings because we have to live up to what we have already attained. All right, that concludes the text for the day. Three points I want you to see in there. The first one is you must move forward. You cannot just stand. Now, obviously, we know the Bible wants one thing above all. If we were going to remember, we measure flour with a measuring cup, we measure boards with a tape measure, and a screw with a micrometer, right? How do we measure Christian faith? Christianity. What's the measure of Christianity? It can be expressed in one word. What is the measure of Christianity? How would you measure it? If you looked at a life, somebody lived to be 75 years old, and they had professed Christ at 20, the 55 years between 20 and 75, what is the measure that you would use? Someone want to take a stab at it? Okay, it's not one of the Sunday school answers. You can't just say, well, whatever God says. Because you don't necessarily know for sure what God says. It's one word. Okay. Well, love is absolutely necessary. The problem is, sometimes people love things that aren't good or they love in an inappropriate way. Love somebody so much that they hurt them or love somebody so much that they enable them, etc. Love is what will endure in the end. It's what will be there but it isn't the word that I would use to measure because so many people have different kind of definitions. Really close now. Faith is really close. But faith isn't the measure. Faith is what's being measured. What's the measure? It's faithfulness, right? Did they live up to the standard that God set for them? 
Did they live up to the standard, the best they understand? Remember, he said, hold on to that which you've already attained. He said, press toward the call, right? Press toward the goal. So we're doing what we're pressing forward. Did they live up to the measure or the standard that God set? And that standard is essentially faithfulness. I know pastors who pastor a church, who have pastored a church their whole lives that never had more than 15 people in it. They're country pastors. They're bivocational country pastors, never had more than 15 people, including all seniors, adults, and children in that church. And they faithfully preached the word. They, they married them and they buried them and they... They stood with them when they were sad and they picked them up when they were down and, and they gave people the strength to go on by their, the, the preaching of the word and the encouragement and so on. Would you honestly say that person did not do what God had them to do for life? No. They would be found good and faithful servant. Remember what he says? Well done, good and faithful servant. Faithfulness is the measure. Will you be found faithful? And so we must move forward and then as we move forward, the measure is faithfulness. Well, we need the foundation to move forward. That's the starting place. We need to make the transition to the deeper teachings. That's only possible if you're not dull of hearing, if you've not walked off the path. Faithfulness is the measure. Are you doing what you know to do? Romans 1 says that people become a law unto themselves. Those who do not know God, they make rules for themselves or laws for themselves. And then they break the rules or laws that they laid out for themselves. And so they become their own judgment. And they are without excuse. This is what people do. So I'll never do that. When I was in high school, I, said, I told one of my best friends, I will never date your girlfriend if you break up with her. I will never date your girlfriend ever. I kept that promise for several years, and then I married her. And she became the mother of my children. And I've been faithful to her ever since. But I wasn't faithful to that promise to my friend. I set that measure. I wasn't saved. I lied to him. I broke my promise. It was a promise I never should have made. It was a bad standard in the first place. But that's what people do. We set a measure, and then we don't even measure up to our own measure. We set a standard and we said, oh, I won't do that until it's the right time to do that. Until I, I say I won't do that, but the truth is I'll do it. Right? The measure is faithfulness. You need to move forward in the way that you know how to go. In the way that you've been taught. And that is found in discipleship. You learn from the Master and then you enact the things that you have learned. Christianity is really not that complicated. You do what Jesus told you to do, everything will be fine. That's discipleship. It's really not that difficult. People say Christianity is so easy. I just beg God for forgiveness. He gives it to me and I start living the way he told me to live. When I was growing up, my dad was a pretty wise man. He told me a lot of things that I should do and shouldn't do. Some of them I listened to and some of them I didn't. And almost every one I didn't, I paid for. Almost every single one. Now, I wouldn't want to live my whole life by his limited wisdom, but now I have a dad whose wisdom is not limited. He tells me what to do. I should do it. I should move forward faithfully in the way that He would have me to go, pressing toward what He has called me to. He knows how good heaven is. I've never been. He knows how bad hell is. I've never been. And we should press forward the way He has shown us. But in pressing forward the way He has shown us, we cannot do away with the foundational teachings. We must leave them in place. We have to know what they are. Repentance from dead works. So if somebody comes and tells you 10 years from now that you have to do X as a Christian. Let's say, for example, 
you find this beautiful girl if you're not married right now or um, one of your kids grows up and they join a Pentecostal church or whatever and they're, they seem to really be on fire for the Lord and you wind up there or, um, or I stand up here in 10 years from now and I tell you, you know, you've got to have a nice neat haircut and be clean shaven to be a Christian or you've got to wear a dress if you're a girl. Does that line up with the foundational teachings? Does it line up with the price that Jesus paid, let alone repentance from dead works? It doesn't. You have to be able to dismiss the falsehoods that will come because, let me be clear, the falsehoods will come. They're attacking you all the time in between Sunday and Sunday right now. You're getting it all the time. You're getting it on YouTube. You're getting it on social media. You're getting it on TV. You're getting it in the newspaper. You're getting it on your job. Your buddy tells you. You put two people in a room that are sure. Put another person in the room that's not sure. Pretty sure... Pretty soon, the first two people won't be so sure. That's the way we are. We pick up the things from people around us. And so, you have to know what your firm foundation is. Know what you will not walk away from. That's what the church is all about. We have to know who we are and what we stand for. And that's why we study the Word. How do you leave stand on, leap from a foundational framework that you're not even sure is steady. Know the foundational teachings. But this text here in Philippians 3 also tells us that we need to leave room for new revelation to inform our understanding and application of those same teachings. Last week when we went through this list, we talked about laying on of hands. I'm going to ask you to participate for a second. You can do it out there too, but I won't be able to see the result. Maybe put it in the text or whatever. If you personally have felt compelled by God or if you personally have done it because you thought it was the right thing to do and you have laid hands on another person, meaning you put your hand on them to pray for them or to rebuke an evil spirit or to heal or to encourage them in a manner of faith. I'm not talking about you touched a girl or I'm not talking about you you just encouraged a brother who was talking about he's got a drinking problem. I'm talking about in, order, in a manner of faith if you have laid hands on somebody if you ordained a deacon, you did that. If you are a deacon uh, and you've been in an ordination ceremony, you've done it. If you've laid hands on somebody, I want you to raise your hand. Yet last week, you can put them down now. Yet last week when we talked about laying on of hands, how many people were really comfortable and say, yeah, I do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I totally understand that. We have a presidential candidate right now that's being slammed every time he turns his head because he lays hands on people. Now, he doesn't do it in a biblical way. We're not talking about a Christian way, but he's, very, he's being attacked that way. I don't know half of it. I don't know what's true. I don't know what's not true, and I'm not political. But the bottom line is you touch people in this world, and you can be in trouble. And yet Christians, as a foundational teaching, we're supposed to touch people. Social distancing. We, has, we have as a biblical command to break social distancing whenever somebody needs us. It's part of our foundational teaching. But because social mores aren't as quite as kosher with it or whatever, we've sort of like, well, I'll only do that if it's really necessary. I'll only lay hands on somebody if God really tells me to do that. Right? But we all that raised our hands anyway, and there was a couple that didn't, but all of us that did understand the value of it. We have to know the foundational teachings and then at the same time we have to be willing to be informed by God and through God's methods 
so we can apply them differently or more substantially or more completely. So we can't lose that because if we lose it, then when next time something comes along that's supposed to inform our understanding, we're not going to get that. We're not going to get the new improved understanding and we don't have the original teaching anymore. We should know the difference between shaky ground and solid ground. Somebody says, uh, we're going to have a laying on hands service. We're going to get everybody come forward that's got a demon, that's got a need to be healed or whatever. And we'll get some brothers together. We're going to lay hands on everyone. And we're going to see a bunch of miracles get done. And we're going to have some uh, hooting and hollering and chomping like dogs and maybe a few people pass out. Okay, that's getting shaky ground now. That's not the teaching of lay on hands that, laying on hands that Jesus gave us. Now that's shaky ground. So if I, if I attach that to my understanding of laying on of hands, then I have moved from solid ground that Jesus gave me to shaky ground. And when I need to go deeper, I'm going to be in trouble when I go to make that move, that leap, that step forward. We have to know the difference between shaky ground and solid ground. And we have to remember that this framework that we have requires us to move forward so we can't get so wrapped up in it. So here's basic moving forward 101. In this room we have people who if I ask you how many people read your Bible every single day, there's a few people that would raise their hand or maybe online or whatever. But most people don't. But if you're a person who reads your Bible every day and you have come to the point where you, you realize you need that, you think you should do that, you want to keep growing in the Lord, it's the way that God speaks to you, you have all these reasons why. And then when you talk to somebody else who doesn't read their Bible every day, you're like, oh, you slacker. I said, well, I read my Bible four or five days a week. Well, you're just a failure because you don't read your Bible seven days a week, right? Wrong. There's room within these foundational teachings to grow. And then you grow and you have a new revelation and I have to walk away from X or I have to add in X. And just because I walk away from X or add in X doesn't mean my X applies to somebody else. That's back to the foundational teachings. The basic things that Jesus taught apply to everyone. And if you try to then embellish them or grow in them and then take your growth or your embellishment and apply it to somebody else, that's wrong. When you reach new heights in Jesus, your new heights... Do not apply to anyone else. If they should, could, might, then maybe you can give somebody a hand up to where you are. But if you try to give them a hand up, a word of encouragement, or push them too hard or whatever, before God is ready for them to move up, they will be leaping from solid ground to a new shaky ground. And they ought to say, no, I'm, quite, I'm not really sure I'm ready for that. I'm not really sure that's what I... I need, I need to know what I'm supposed to do before I'm going to be doing it every single day. Right? So there's the framework. we got to know it. We have to allow room for new revelation and growth within it without moving to shaky ground. And then the forward movement required, we don't give up the original framework, the original foundation. We don't walk away from it. We stand firmly on it while we are taking our steps. I, I submit to you that it goes something like this. Here's my firm island. I leave to this island. Now this island over here is part of my firm island. I've added it. As soon as I get there, it becomes part of it. As long as it's firm too, it becomes part of this. And then I can take another step. And as long as it's firm and it's firm and it's all good, then it's all firm. And you're just adding on like Pac-Man. You take another bite. But... If you leap from here and leave here completely behind and have nothing to do with this anymore and now you're out here, that's not Christianity. It's not Christian growth. 
It requires a move forward, but it also requires you holding on to that which was before and foundational. That's how it's done. You got to know who you are in Christ and the foundational teachings, and then you can embellish and add on to them, and new things will come. And the truth is, the new things that will come will be mostly about Jesus and your personal relationship with Him. When we take these six things and how they wrap into Christ, there really isn't all that much more of a main doctrinal teaching. But these things are the measure. So let me just say, let me ask you this real quick. I hope you remember the six. All right? Before we go into our third, third and final point, here's what I'm going to ask you. If somebody says to you, you really don't have to worship with believers, you really don't have to be part of the church, which of the foundational teachings are they speaking against? There are six. Which of the foundational teachings are they speaking against? Somebody give me one. I can think of two. Say it again. Laying on of hands. That's absolutely right. You're speaking against laying on of hands because that is about fellowship. It's about fellowship with other believers. It is the most clear, isn't it? It's, the, it's clearly against that because the principle of laying on hands says you're going to be together. You're going to support one another. You're going to encourage one another. You're going to pray for one another. You're going to lay your physical hands as God's representative on somebody else. You can't do that if you're not together. Right? So you're disallowing that false teaching by the foundation. And that's what you do every time you encounter something new. You say, how does this line up with my foundation? Now your foundation will grow. And you can honestly say, okay, I've had a few steps along the way with land hands. I understand that a little better. Now I know what's allowed and what's not allowed. And then somebody brings something else in, like I talked about that kind of hokey lay on a hand service type thing that we're going to do. And you go, that eh, doesn't quite line up. That doesn't line up with my understanding of the foundational teaching of laying on a hands, right? So what about, uh, what, what other one does it disrupt? This one's not as clear-cut, but it's definitely there. Baptism. baptism and washing, right? It disallows that. Baptism is that moment in which you tell the church, I'm living for Jesus. So if you get baptized in some other church somewhere else or by some guy in a stream or whatever, and nobody even knows, it doesn't disallow your baptism. But remember that that word there is not literally baptism. That word there is actually washing externally. So in other words, you need to be amongst other believers to live how to make your outside mesh up with other believers. How to make it work. How to, you should show that you're living for Jesus. You should show that something has happened inside of you because nobody knows. Otherwise, you can say it all day long. I believe I'm living for Jesus. But as long as your outside doesn't show that, now be careful because I'm not talking about becoming legalistic. So let's take that one. If there is a legalism, okay? Here are the rules. Follow the Ten Commandments plus these 37 other rules that the pastor and the deacons and the, and the uh, leadership council and all these people are coming. If you follow uh, these 47 rules, then you are a Christian and can join our church and can serve in our fellowship and would be clearly following God. That's legalism. Which of the, of the doctrines that we're talking about or the, the foundational teachings does that disobey? There's one of the core teachings and then... Alright, so how about faith? Right? How does a person get saved? Ephesians 2. By grace, God gives it to you as a free gift through faith because you believe. Not because you have works. Now, it does say faith without works is dead. James writes, right? But faith is still faith. And it's a foundational teaching. 
So if you don't do the things that somebody tells you to do and they say because you don't do them, you're not saved, that would be incorrect. If you believe, you are saved. For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish and have everlasting life. Not whosoever follows the 37 rules set by somebody else. Right? It disallows the foundational teaching of faith. That's why legalism is not allowed. But actually, it's even bigger than that. Because when you take repentance of dead works, which would be the second one I would use, right? And you take away baptism, or, or you use baptism, right? So the old me has passed away, the new me has come. And washing of faith, my outside is getting cleaned up by Jesus as I go, right? And you take eternal judgment and resurrection, you put them all together, you get Jesus. And when Jesus was on the cross, dying, he looked at the thief, who was definitely a thief, because <laughs> that's why he was dying, because he was a thief on the cross, and he said, you will be with me in paradise today. Even though that thief didn't follow the 47 rules that we're talking about, he would be in heaven with Jesus. So don't tell me that, there's, that we're allowed to have all these rules, and that's how a person gets saved. You get saved by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith. Abandoning your dead works. Repentance. Being judged by God as having actually been a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Judged by God, not by us. Right? That's how you apply the foundational teachings to rule out the stuff that doesn't belong. Why is all this so important? And this is our third point of what he's talking about. Why is all this so important? Because it was always going to be dangerous. Christianity was always going to be dangerous. It's precarious. You know what that word means? It's a place to stand that you may not be safe. It's precarious. It's dangerous. Jesus, uh, well, John writes, don't be surprised when they hate you. <laughs> it was always going to be dangerous. We now live in a society where we have masks. What did I do with my mask? I had it up here as an object lesson. I don't even know where to put it. It's on the chair over there. We have masks we're supposed to wear to protect us from the sicknesses that other people have, but really it's to protect us from sharing our sicknesses with other people. That's really what it's supposed to be about. And there's executive orders flying around and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not differing or agreeing with masks. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Christians who have loved the Lord and wanted people to come to Jesus, have served in the right in the middle of every plague that has ever happened. And they have gone out and they have told people about Jesus. People with 103 fevers about to die on their deathbeds, they've told them about Jesus. And some of those people that they told went to heaven. And some of the people that would be spared worse because of masks and social distancing like that aren't on their way to heaven. It's always been dangerous to be a Christian. Christians have starved to death because they gave their food away to people who were hungry. It's always been dangerous to be a Christian. People were, Christians were hung on crosses, right side up and upside down, before and after being whipped, hung for days until they bled out or suffocated because their legs were no longer strong enough to lift them so they could exhale. It has always been dangerous to be a Christian. You need a firm foundation in Christ. You need to understand these teachings. You need to be able to dismiss the things that come that are wrong because it's always been dangerous. Fight back tooth and nail against anybody that would persecute you. Kill them before they kill you. Wrong. You get smacked on one cheek, you turn the other one. Why? Because it's always been dangerous to be a Christian. 
the first verses that Paul was writing in Philippians that we read, what did he say? That I might be joined together with Him in His suffering. Revelation 3, after you overcome these things, I will allow you to come and sit on my throne with me just as my Father allowed me to come and sit on His throne with Him. It's always been dangerous to be a Christian. You feel put out. You feel tired. You feel beat up. You feel used. You feel abused. You feel cursed. You feel beaten, literally physically beaten because you're a Christian. Yeah! Now you're a Christian. As long as you're standing on the firm foundation that Jesus gave us and taking steps forward, it literally does not matter. I sent out a text yesterday encouraging, and I said, you, you become a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, you'll still suffer. There's still pain. It's still going to be difficult. you still got to work day in, day out to do the things that you have to do. you got to go to work, get a paycheck, so you can pay your rent. None of that is going to go away. And on top of that, living for Jesus from your firm foundation, taking steps forward, you will be persecuted. You will be hated. You will be disliked. People will not like what you have to say. This is the blessing of the day that we live in. There was a while, I'm going to say it was a long while, even when social media first began, that people began to believe that if you don't say anything controversial, that no one will hate you. And no one will despise you. No one will get down on you. If you don't say any, just don't say anything controversial and you can stay clear. Is anybody starting to realize that that's not actually true? Now if you put up a, a post about your favorite football team, which is completely, you know, no big deal, or about um, your favorite color, your favorite food, or whatever. Before long, somebody can be bashing you on social media. Someone can be disagreeing with you. Before long, all you got to do is say something, anything, or nothing, nothing, and somebody can hate you. You can be hated for no reason at all that you can think of. So why not be hated for loving people? Why not be hated for following Jesus? Why not be hated for pressing toward the goal? That's the life that Paul was living. It wasn't that he was better than us. It wasn't that he believed something that we don't believe. We have the foundational teachings right before us. It's because he understood going in. How do I know he understood going in? Because he is the very young man. He is the very young man who held the cloaks, the outer garments of the men who were throwing the stones at the very first recorded martyr, Stephen. He held their clothes. And his voracious appetite, appetite for living for God more led him to be the leader of the persecutors of the way. Even to lead men, get papers from the high priest, and lead men on the road to Damascus to go and arrest and further persecute other Christians. Paul accepted Jesus, understanding it will always be dangerous to live for Jesus. If you accepted Jesus to make your life better, I'm not even sure that you accepted the same Jesus I did. If you accepted Jesus and became a follower of Jesus because you didn't want to go to hell, I'm not even sure that that's the same Jesus. The teachings are, there is an eternal hell. That's part of the foundational teachings. There is a repentance from dead works too. There is a resurrection. There is a laying on of hands and a washing. There are foundational teachings that go just beyond just one thing. And people say, just pray to Jesus and you won't go to hell. And people pray to Jesus. And if that's all the foundational teaching they ever get, they don't have enough to stand on. And then one day, they leap from there to, well, I think I'm going to, you know, the only way I'm really going to make my um, 
rent this month is if I start selling drugs or if I start um, selling my body or whatever. And so they start doing that because they're saved anyway, so what the heck? I'm going to heaven anyway. Why not? And there are drug dealers all over this country and all over the world that believe they're going to heaven and there's nothing wrong with selling drugs. They're not technically doing anything wrong and they're destroying lives and, and relationships. It's always been dangerous to be a Christian. That's why Paul says you must hold on to your firm foundation while reaching forward to that which God has for you. And then our conclusion. There's a song I sometimes sing. I don't actually know the name of it. I had to ask somebody. Uh, and I don't know very much of it, just a very little bit. It's uh, Home, Home on the Range, where the deer and the antelope play. Home, home on the range, where the deer and the antelope play. Right? Where seldom is heard a discouraging word. And the skies are not cloudy all day. I don't know the rest of it. But I think about our church. I think about our families. I think about our job sites. I think that home, home on the range that that song is about, well, it, it may have died. Because everywhere I go, there's one discouraging word after another. Living in a day where my righteous soul, if I have one, I yearn to have one. I want to be righteous. I want to be found righteous. And righteousness is found in Jesus Christ, not in my own strength. So I believe I have righteousness in God's eyes. Not mine, but His. I almost can't stand it. I would break under the pressure of the discouragement that is all around me. People who claim to be Christians, talking like we talk, living like we live, teaching what they teach, I would break under the pressure, except I realize the foundational teachings, I can always go back and stand there. I know that I have repented of my dead works. I believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, my Lord, my Savior. And I have a personal relationship with Him day in, day out. I believe in supporting one another. I believe in the church. I believe the church is the body of Christ. That's what it says in Ephesians 4, that we are the body of Christ. And when you lay hands, it's literally Him laying His hands, not just figuratively. I believe in baptism. I believe that people, the old person dies and people get a really new, fresh start. It happened to me. I became somebody completely different that day. I believe in eternal life and I believe in eternal judgment. And that alone, some days, keeps me going. Some days, it's all I've got. I'm asking you today to not only embrace the foundational teachings of Christianity and what Jesus taught us, and learn to mark off or push away or have nothing to do with the other things that come in that aren't in line with the foundation. I'm asking you to do that because it's dangerous to be a Christian in this lifetime. You, can't, you won't lose your salvation as a Christian. You'll wind up somewhere so much better 
But man, it sucks sometimes down here. Except when I think about the foundation that I have. What God did for me. And then I think about what people don't have. The foundation that they don't have. Even people who claim the name of Jesus, they don't have the foundation. And I am reminded that we have a ministry of reconciliation to bring God and man back into proper relationship. And then I get up off my bed, or I get out of my chair, or I get out of my car, or I get off my phone, or I turn my TV off. And I pray, or I think about the Lord. One other point to conclude. Remember we talked about a measure? We talked about how you really can't apply your measure. The measure that would be applied to you can't be applied to somebody else. I was thinking about this this week. I had a, a friend of mine who was pretty upset because some people that he knew who professed to be Christians weren't doing very much for the Lord. They weren't spending much time in the Word or they weren't witnessing, they weren't reaching out. And uh, he got pretty upset. And they, th- these people that he was talking about started doing devotionals every day. And he said, devotionals? What is that? What's devotionals? So that's nothing. Devotional, reading your Bible every day, reading one verse and a story, that's nothing. Doing that every day. So you read chapters every day. We need to witness for God every day. We need to live for God every day. And he started to become negative about the baby steps that what at best our baby Christians were taking to move forward. If you go 37 steps up or 101 steps up, don't ever look down on the people behind you. Don't ever think they're worthless. Don't ever judge them and say they're not saved. That's up to God. That's not up to us. This is the measure. Are you moving forward? It could be the tiniest little baby step ever, but are you moving forward? Are you standing on the foundation? That's whether or not you can make the transition and go into the deeper teachings. But are you moving forward in Christ? I'm asking you today to take the next step. I, I'm pretty sure we all know what it is for each one of us. Stop and think about what am I supposed to do next? What does God want me to do now? I'm pretty sure you know what it is already. It might be a little list because you might have been putting off a few things. That happens to me all the time. I put off a few things. I get a to-do list. It's so long. I think you probably know what it is that God wants you to do next. And for God today, as God's representative, I'm asking you to do that, whatever that is. It's not my thing. It's your thing. Whatever that is. From the firm foundation that Jesus has laid for us, the, found, the foundational teachings that we now have, reach forward to the next thing. And a heart that is willing to do that can make the transition. And beginning next week, we go into those deeper teachings. And we're going to decipher them. We're going to pull them apart and figure out what we're supposed to do about them. And we've got 12 more weeks to do that. And they're different, each one. And we'll look back at how they're related to these foundational teachings. And then we'll decide.